an amazing way to start our time together. There is nothing more exciting than celebrating life change. That is what we are about here at Crossroads Church. And so, uh, man, I want to welcome you today. For those of you here in-house, welcome to, the, to those of you who are sitting here with me. Welcome to those of you who are online at Fort Lupton campus. If we've not met, I'm Chris, one of the pastors here, and we are starting today our fifth season in the book of Luke. Now, you might be wondering, what is the book of Luke? What, is, what does that mean? Well, see, the book of Luke, it's simple. It's a, it's a biography of Jesus, a detailed biography of Jesus uh, based on, uh, on firsthand eyewitness accounts. You see, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've been spending several weeks over the course of the last couple of years going through slowly through the book of Luke. And the reason why we're going through the book of Luke is not simply just to learn more things about Jesus. That's how we learn about history, right? We learn facts. We learn dates. We we memorize things that people in the past did. That's not why we're going through the book of Luke. The reason why we're going through the book of Luke is so that we would actually get to know Jesus because he is not just a historical figure that died a long time ago. He's a historical figure that died and then rose back to life and he is alive and well today, right now. And he's made himself knowable to us that we get to know and interact with and have relationship with the almighty creator God. You see here at Crossroads, we are all about Jesus. That's it, we are all about him and what he's doing and his glory and making his name great. And so that's why we've been taking a close look at, at Jesus's life and ministry. And over the last few seasons, if you're, if you're new with us, uh, over the last few seasons of Luke, we've looked at uh, his beginnings, his birth, and, and what that meant, and his ministry, and the work that he did, the miracles that he did, the, the teachings that he taught. And this series of Luke, we are looking at the final week of Jesus' life before he was arrested and crucified. Now, if you knew that in just five days you were going to be killed, if you knew that this was coming, that in five days your life was over, how would you live? You see, that through that lens is how we get to see Jesus over the course of this series. We get to see Jesus living out his last few days before his crucifixion because he knew exactly what was about to happen. And if you're new here, if you are checking out Crossroads Church, maybe you're not sure about what it means to follow Jesus and and, and you're curious and you're open to to seeing what that means, I would really encourage you to go back and listen and watch some of the archives of the previous seasons of Luke as we look at Jesus' life and ministry. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever had something, uh, but you didn't actually know what it was that you had? In other words, have you ever had something so valuable, so precious, so amazing, but you didn't actually know that you had it? You see, I love garage sailing, ask my family. Garage sailing is one of our favorite things over the summer. In fact, I'm mourning a little bit now that in the fall, you just don't see garage sales anywhere, right? So you don't get those really great deals on junk that you probably just don't need. But uh, garage selling is fun. And there's this guy a few years ago in Missouri City, Texas. His name is Emil Canodal. 
And Emil was a professional garage sailor, all right? Uh, maybe not, but he was retired. He's a retired market, market specialist. And, and he was out one day with his buddy, and they were looking at garage sales, and they come across this estate sale. And at this estate sale, they find this wooden chest with three drawers and a marble top. Here's a picture of it. And he looks at this, and he, think, he thinks, man, my wife would love this chest. It would go perfect in our dining room. How much is it? And they say, well, on the first day of the sale, it was $300. It's an antique. It's over 100 years old, right? And it's in good shape. On the second day, we marked it down to $200. Today, since it's the third day, we will let it go for $100. And he, you know, kind of looks at it and, and thinks about it. And he's like, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. And so he pays $100. He he picks up this chest with his buddy, and as they're loading it into their truck, they hear something rattling, and they begin to invest, investigate. They look in all the drawers, and they don't find anything, and then finally they, they look a little bit deeper, and they see a hidden drawer, and in this hidden drawer has money, diamonds, jewelry, other antiques, even Civil War artifacts. All of this, date, uh, all of this uh, estimated to be around $15,000 worth. Here's the thing. Emil's a good guy. He, he tells the family, hey, did you know this was in your chest? I'll give it back to you guys. It's yours, right? Here's the thing. That chest had been living in this family's house for decades, and they had no idea what was right under their nose. The story that we're going to look at today in chapter 19 of Luke is similar. It's similar in that the people of Israel had something amazing right in front of them, but they had no idea that it was there. So in Luke 19 is where we're going to be. If you want to turn there. Now this text is usually reserved for the week before Easter. The week before Easter in church calendar, we call it Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry of Jesus, where he and his disciples ride into Jerusalem and everybody's praising him and it's this big, huge party. And typically, like I said, we, we, we teach this on the week before Easter, right before Jesus dies on Good Friday and then rises back to life on Easter. And what's happening in this text is that the city of Jerusalem has swelled 10 times its size. Because people from all over the world, Israelites who wanted to come and, 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 and remember Passover. Passover was uh, the holiday that they remembered when God spared Israel when they were slaves in Egypt a long, long time ago. And ever since then, they've celebrated Passover together. And so Israel, uh, Jerusalem swells 10 times its size, everybody coming from all over the place to celebrate Passover. And so Jesus and his disciples are also going to uh, celebrate Passover, so they're on their way. And you remember the story where Jesus then, at the top of the Mount of Olives, he sends one of his disciples ahead to get a donkey. It was prophesied in Zechariah that the Messiah would be riding on a donkey. So he gets this donkey, and they begin to march toward Israel. And, uh, and here's what happens in verse 36. It says this, And as he rode along... They spread out their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so here Jesus is coming in on a donkey. His disciples are there with him. People are, are, are worshiping him by taking their cloaks and laying them on the ground. And then they're waving palm branches and they're, and they're shouting these praises to Jesus. This incredible celebration kind of moment. Like for some reason, I think of Aladdin when he has this procession into Agrabah, right? After the genie made him a prince, right? Uh, but Jesus didn't have elephants and all that other stuff. But this huge procession of Jesus into Jerusalem, but then it takes a really awkward turn. In verse 41, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept. He starts sobbing. And he says this, would you, that, that even you had known on this day the things that made for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will step up, will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And so imagine, again, this huge procession, and here comes Jesus and he starts Weeping, And the word used here for his weeping isn't just like a sniveling. It's like, a, like an ugly cry. Like, you know, when you are overcome with sorrow, that you are seized by your weeping. You just can't control it. In fact, your weeping is controlling you. This is what's happening in this moment. And Jesus is here on this donkey just sobbing. Now, it's super awkward, right? I can just imagine people in the crowd, you know, they're saying like, hey, there's Jesus, woohoo! Jesus, you're awesome, uh, we love you. Wait, wait a second, hey, is he crying? Is he, is he crying right now? <laughs> what did we do? Did we say something wrong? Did we have the wrong color balloons? Did we not get his favorite cake right? Like, what is going on? What, Jesus, why are you sobbing? Do you know why? I don't know why. Well, wait, I think he's saying something. Hold on, let's, let's listen. Okay, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, okay? Uh, no stone left on another, okay? Uh, we're all going to die, and so are our children within us, okay? Hold on. What in the world is going on here? Jesus, this isn't how it's supposed to go. Jesus, what are you talking about? And I can just imagine somebody kind of taking control in this crowd saying, cut, time out. Jesus, hold on, hold on, wait a second. Let's stop, cut. Jesus, kings don't cry, okay? At least not in front of people. Kings are fearless. Kings are strong. Kings are courageous. Why are you crying, Jesus? We need you to be strong. We need you to be our leader. And, and so actually, let's try this over again. Like, let, take two, okay? Take your disciples and go back up to the top of the Mount of Olives and where you got the donkey. And by the way, kings don't ride donkeys, Jesus. Kings ride strong horses. So go get one of those, get rid of the donkey, get on a strong horse, come back down the Mount of Olives. We're going to hail you as king. And you're not going to cry and talk about all this scary stuff about how we're all gonna die, right? So here's, here's the question is, or here's, here's not the question. <laughs> the question isn't why did Jesus weep? The question isn't why did Jesus weep? Because it's clear. 
You see, he saw 40 years into the future, in the year 70 AD. In the year 70 AD, Jerusalem, it was during the time, same time of year, Passover, so it swelled up with people. Rome comes under the leadership of General Titus, and they surround the city. And they let travelers into the city, but they don't let anybody out of the city. And for 143 days, Jerusalem was under siege. And the Roman army waited until everybody inside was tired and starving and thirsty because they ran out of all of their resources. And after they, they were tired and starving, they, they stormed into the city and they completely destroyed it, leaving no stone left unturned. An estimated 600,000 to 1 million Jews were killed in that event in 70 AD, and another several thousand taken captive. You see, that is why Jesus wept. He saw what was about to happen, and he prophesied over them. The real question is this. The real question is actually hidden in verse 42. Did you see it? He says this, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden. In other words, if you had only known what was right in front of you this whole time, and the question is this, is how did they miss it? How in the world did they miss it? I mean, sometimes you hear people today think like, or say, man, I wish Jesus was here in the flesh so that I could see what he was doing. I wish God would make himself known to me like he did then and see that I could see him in the flesh and see what he's doing, then I would have faith. But here's the thing, they had that. They had Jesus in the flesh and they missed it. How did they miss what was right in front of them, the peace? You see, life is all about finding peace, isn't it? That's what we want. Everybody, since the beginning of time, we want, we want peace. You want peace in your relationships. You, you should get this new app on your phone because it will make your life more peaceful. It will help you organize. It will save your time. It will, it will save your energy. Get this new thing. Get this new car because guess what? It drives itself. You don't even have to drive anymore or parallel park because it will do it itself and you can have peace. Live in this neighborhood, land this job, get this girl or get this guy. Get the right person in your political office, and you'll have peace. You see, Israel was no different. They wanted peace because they were tired of Roman rule. They were tired of the Roman occupation. And they watched Jesus for three years, seeing his miracles, listening to his teachings, watching his ministry, and they thought, this is the guy. This is the guy, and you might even be thinking, well, what does he mean that they missed it? Weren't they praising him as, as he was coming into the city? And, and here's the thing, in verse 38, they were saying this, they were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You see, they wanted Jesus for a very specific reason. They wanted a political leader, they wanted a king that would unite Israel and fight against Rome and bring about uh, the Davidic kingdom, bring about their freedom once again. They, they wanted Jesus to lead them politically. But he says, at the time of your visitation, you weren't ready. And that word visitation is a word that's used to describe a general who would 
unexpectedly drop in on his troops to see if they were ready for battle. And here Jesus says, I dropped in and, and you weren't ready. And we know that they missed who Jesus was because the same people who were saying, blessed is the king who comes, in just a few days were shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. You see, they missed Jesus for who he was. And instead, they tried to force him into the box of their own agenda. They said, Jesus, come and we'll, we'll let you in and here's your role. Here's our agenda. Please do this stuff for us. A few weeks ago, right as uh, a hot spell here in Denver sort of cooled and uh, we realized that the fan in our furnace died and it wasn't blowing. It was good timing because it wasn't super hot, it wasn't super cold, so we could just turn it all off. But I called my, my buddy Mark who runs his own HVAC and plumbing and I said, hey Mark, I got a problem. He's like, okay, no, pro no problem, I'll come check it out. He comes, checks it out. Sure enough, your blower's busted, we need to get a new one. So we set it up for the next Monday to come and Mark shows up with his tech and they, and they go and they, they fix my furnace. But let's just say for a moment that when they showed up on Monday, I, I said, hey Mark, hold on a sec. Uh, bef before we fix the blower in the furnace, I have, I, I need your help with something. And because Mark's a nice guy, he'd say, well, sure, what's up? Well, um, I have this sink full of dirty dishes. And man, I, it really helped me out a lot if you could just do these dishes. And then after that, I promise we can go and work on the, on the blower in the furnace. And, okay, and let's just say he goes along with it. And he's probably wondering, like, that's weird that Chris would ask me to do his dishes. But hey, I'm a nice guy, I'll do his dishes does his dishes. And then after the dishes, I said, I know that was the only thing I said, but actually my truck is really dirty. And man, I could really use some help washing it and giving it a nice wax and, and all of that. Would you help me with that? And at some point, Mark would get worn down and he'd say, okay, Chris, hold on a second. You have the wrong guy. I, I mean, I'm your buddy and, I, and I'm here to help you, but this isn't why I'm here. You see, and here's the thing, uh, I would feel let down by Mark, but really I would only be let down by Mark because I actually misunderstood what he was there to do. And this is what was happening. The Jews wanted Jesus to fit a specific role and do specific things, but he did not come for those things. And they completely missed what was right in front of them. And it makes me wonder, you know, week in and week out, we come together and we, we read God's word and, and we stand and we sing and we, we remember communion and we, and we worship together and it's just a joy to do that. And I just have to wonder, like if Jesus walked in right here, right now, would he rejoice or would he weep? You see, I wonder if some of us might be missing who he is and what he's about. I mean, what, what about you in, in all honesty? Have you expected Jesus to fit into a certain box? Do you come to Jesus with your list of agenda items and you say, hey, here it is, Jesus, protect me. I'll follow you, but you need to protect me from suffering. You need to give me an easy life. You need to help my finances. You need to help my marriage. You need to, you need to bring about good things in my kid's life. You need to uh, do all these things for me, Jesus. I'll follow you, but you better hold up your 
end of the deal. You see, when we put Jesus into the box of our agendas, we commodify Jesus, meaning we turn him into simply a commodity, a means to an end. He becomes a silly superstition, that we, a good luck charm that we put on our keychain and say, hey, I hope things work out. You know, another way to look at this is, uh, is, is the question, have you ever felt let down by God? Have you ever felt let down? Like in that moment where you're saying, God, I, I prayed for this and I expected this and, and this is what I thought you were going to do, but you didn't do it and I am let down. In all honesty, I've, I've felt let down by God. I've been there. I can look back on those times where I felt totally let down and maybe even betrayed. Have you ever felt that? You know, I hear it now and then from people who will say, I've, I tried Christianity. I tried it. And then they'll say this, but it didn't work for me. It didn't work. And you begin to ask a little bit more, well, what about that didn't work? And they begin to talk about, well, God let me down. He let my spouse die. He let my child suffer. My marriage didn't work out. My finances are in total ruin. My family is broken up. Didn't Jesus want to help me with these things? But he didn't, so I tried it, and he failed me. He let me down. He didn't hold up his end of the bargain. Well, let me say this to you. When we feel let down by Jesus, it's not Jesus who let us down but rather some counterfeit, lesser version of Jesus. Are you tracking? When we feel let down by God, it's not God that let us down. It's some other counterfeit, lesser version of who God really is. It's a commodified Jesus. In other words, when we feel let down, it's an indicator. It's an indicator in our lives of a belief or an expectation that we hold that's simply not true. When we feel let down by God, it's an indicator, it's pointing to a belief about him or an expectation of him that's simply not true. Are you worshiping Jesus as a means to an end for what he can give you for what he can provide for you? Or are you worshiping him as the almighty creator God of the universe that he is? Holy and worthy and gracious and merciful. And no matter what happens, worthy of praise. Now hear me, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you doubt that you're worshiping the real Jesus or not. Unless, of course, you aren't. Then I very much want to make you doubt. Why? So that you will turn to the real Jesus. If you are worshiping a counterfeit Jesus, if you are worshiping a commodified Jesus, a Jesus that needs to hold up his end of the bargain and do these agenda items that you've given him, I want you to doubt that because you are missing out. Just like the Jews, you're, you're missing out. Because here's the thing, counterfeit Jesus will always let you down, but the real Jesus will never, ever let you down. He won't. It's impossible. He can't do it. He cannot let you down. 
I want to say a quick word to those of you who are, you feel like you are in Jerusalem in 70 AD right now. I know that some of you are there where you're suffering and you look around and your life is in shambles. You feel like every stone has been turned upside down and things didn't work out and, and you are in such incredible pain and suffering right now. You see, it's in those times of destruction and desolation that we are invited into deeper parts of God. And you might be asking the question, why? Why? Why did this happen? Why am I going through this? Why am I suffering so much? Timothy Keller has a really amazing quote with three answers. He says this, some suffering is given in order to chastise and correct a person for wrongful patterns of life, as in the case of Jonah imperiled by the storm. Now we can look back on our lives and say, oh yeah, I know when that happened. I know exactly when that happened. Yeah, okay. And then he says, some suffering is given not to correct past wrongs, but to prevent future wrongs, as in the case of Joseph sold into slavery. And we can look at that and go, yeah, okay. I can look back on my life and see how suffering has prevented future problems. And then he goes on to a third option, and he says this, but some suffering has no purpose other than to lead a person to love God more ardently for himself alone and so discover the ultimate peace and freedom. You see, sometimes when we're suffering, there's no purpose other than for God to draw us in closer and deeper. And it's in those times of destruction that we get to experience parts of God that we never get to experience outside of seasons of suffering. And I talk to people now and then who are going through incredible amounts of pain and suffering. And they'll look at me and they'll say, Chris, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to go through, but I wouldn't change it for the world. And I look at them and I say, what do you mean you wouldn't change this? Like, this is terrible, this is awful, this is painful. What do you mean you wouldn't change this? And they'll say, because I wouldn't change it because the presence of God during this season of suffering has been so real. And I've experienced things of God that I've never, ever experienced before. And for that, I'm so thankful. You see, here's the thing. It's, it's in those times that our faith and our trust gets fortified and our love grows deep. And for those of you who are there, I want to encourage you too. It's easy to think that God has left you, that he's forgotten you, that he's waiting on the other side of suffering for you. But that's not true. He's right there with you. I think of my kids when they were little and they would fall at the playground. And what, the, what does a kid do when they're young and they skin their knee? They come running to dad. And they come and they bury their head in my chest. And they weep. You see, that's what God invites us into. And not only that, but God weeps with us. He weeps with you. He weeps for those who are suffering, and he weeps for those who reject him. Why does he do that? In our world today, if someone rejects you, you just reject them right back. But God doesn't do that. He weeps for those who reject him because he knows exactly what they need and what they are rejecting. To wrap this up, let me give you a, an illustration of, let's say that you're in your 20s, 
your mid-20s and you're just kind of starting in the workforce and, and you really want to be set up well for retirement. And so every month, religiously, no matter, no matter how things are going for you, you send $1,000 to your broker to put into your 401k. And every month since your 20s, you start doing this. And, and every month you get a report on how your portfolio is doing. And you watch it rise and fall with the market. And, but overall, it's doing well. And then you come to the age of retirement and you think, man, I am set. I've worked hard. I've done all I needed to do. And here I am ready to retire. I'm going to be good. And you go to make your first withdrawal. And it's all gone. No, no money's there. You come to find out that the broker you had been sending money to had just been putting it in his pocket, writing you falsified reports every month, and you have no idea who this person is. You have no idea where they're at. There's no way to recoup any of the money. It's all completely gone. Don't let that happen to your soul. Don't chase a counterfeit Jesus your whole life and miss the real Jesus. You see, the real Jesus will never let you down. He'll give you the abundant life that you are constantly seeking. And he's constantly drawing you and inviting you. He's saying, turn to me, draw close to me, because I am enough. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for today. And Jesus, we confess to you those times when we have felt like you've let us down. God, we recognize those times as times not when you've let us down, but times that we've had inaccurate expectations of who you are or what you're supposed to be doing. God, it's in those moments that we ask you to, to clarify and help us to have a true understanding of who you are and what it is that you do. God, for those who are here today and they don't know you, they don't know what it means to follow you, maybe they have been striving and striving in their lives to find peace and to find fulfillment and to find life and, and they're exhausted and they're tired. And Father, you are drawing them. You are inviting them into your rest. So God, my prayer is that you would, that you would just gently and graciously in your kindness draw them to yourself. Jesus, we want you. We want the real you. We thank you that you are enough, that you will never, ever let us down. And it's in Jesus' powerful and strong name that we pray. Amen. If you are listening today and, and maybe you're at a place where you want to take a step in following Jesus. Maybe you've never done that before. You don't know what it really means. You're, you're, you're open and you're seeking. We just want to encourage you. Uh, just simply text the name Jesus to this number on the screen and someone will be in touch with you. We will pray with you. We'll talk with you and uh, we will we'll help you in what that means to follow Jesus. And we'll start your journey off with you. Every weekend, we take time to remember Jesus' sacrifice with the bread and the cup. And it was on that night, just a few days after this story that we just read, 
when Jesus took the bread with his disciples and he said, whenever you eat of this bread, remember my body broken for you. Let's remember together. And then taking the cup, giving thanks and passing it around the table. He says, whenever you drink of this cup, remember my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins, the purchase of your ransom. Let's remember together. Friends, today we're going to spend some time singing. We're gonna respond to God and his goodness. If you would like prayer during this time, we'll have people over here to to your right under the prayer sign that would love to pray with you. Online, you can click the prayer button and someone will pray with you there, all right? Let's stand together. We wanna take a moment.